Welcome to Raise and Deploy, a podcast dedicated to international investments with insights from the world's leading investment professionals from New York to Timbuktu. Each episode, we bring on a new guest to discuss the trials and tribulations that occur when seeking substantial returns in foreign markets. We cover the full life cycle of an investment from the moment you contemplate raising capital offshore to the final check cashed on the returns. Today, I'm with Alex Seller of Spectra Investments to talk about search funds and how they work. We discuss their history and what he looks for when deploying capital into search funds. We also go deeper into one of his biggest wins, a 33Xer in five years. Let's begin. Alex, welcome to Raise and Deploy. I'm really excited about this uh, opportunity to speak with you. I had a great conversation with Renato and Jamie a few weeks ago. And search funds came up and it just resonated with me uh, so much as an entrepreneur, thinking about how we could potentially um, utilize these types of things to you know, grow our company and uh, within our ecosystem. I just thought it was such an innovative idea and I hadn't heard about it before. So as a resident Spectre expert on uh, search funds, I'd love to get your thoughts on it. And we're going to go into it like a you know like a normal conversation but really excited uh, to get your thoughts and and once again welcome awesome ashley nice to meet you and it's a pleasure to be here i think we're we're all very enthusiastic about search funds and the asset class as a whole so uh it'll be great to share a little bit a little bit about what we've learned throughout the last years perfect all right well let's get into the 101 uh what is a search fund yeah, so that's that's the question we we get most of the time when we mention the term search fund. Uh, and you know, for search fund essentially is a model that was created in the United States around the 1980s, 1990s, where um, a recently graduated MBA student um, decides that they want to you know become an entrepreneur, uh, but instead of running the full risk of starting a new business from scratch. Um, they're looking to acquire a company and, you know, what they call entrepreneurship through acquisition. Um, so they they look for investors um, who are interested uh, in their profile and who they maybe know from prior endeavors in their careers or not, um, who are willing to fund this process called the search where this individual or, or a couple eventually will look for a company um, to acquire control of this company uh, and eventually become full-time CEO or co-CEOs uh, of this uh, uh, target uh, and operate it for a period which generally ranges from five to ten years. Okay, really interesting uh, and a really good summary of that. It sounds similar to a SPAC, but obviously it's not. Uh, can you elaborate on some of the differences there? Yeah. So so that's also a common question. Um, you know, I'd say that the main difference uh, starts that, uh, you know, a search fund can be started by almost anyone, while SPACs are typically sponsored by, you know, seasoned professionals who are well known or, or, or relatively well known to the public. Um, and SPACs are also generally raised through an IPO, um, while search funds are raised privately. Um, and then on the other side, you also have the aspect where um, search funds are generally looking to acquire small to mid-sized companies, um, where SPACs are designed to target larger companies. 
Um, and lastly, you know, in SPACs, sometimes uh, the, the team that leads the SPAC will be involved directly in the management of the company, but will not become, I'd say, you know, full-time CEO. Um, whereas in search funds, the model requires, and, and, and it's kind of like the holy grail of the model is the searcher um, leaving everything behind, sometimes having to pack their backpack and moving to somewhere they never imagined to live before uh, and becoming full-time CEO uh, uh, of the companies. Very interesting. Uh, you mentioned a couple of times there about people. That's that's my next question. Who makes the perfect person to go through? You mentioned young, hungry, entrepreneurial, out of school. Uh, what else are you looking for in the person that's going out there and, and uh, picking these companies? So we generally try to keep an open mind on on their careers, you know, prior to their MBA. I'd say there's there's a, a general trend, you know, uh, obviously when you look at business schools, there is a, a more limited amount of careers when you look at the general trend. So people that have experience uh, in private equity or consulting or investment banking. But we at Spectra, we also really like the, the more operational profile um, you know, people that have gone to the to the grid and grind of, of going into the operations of companies. So people that have worked uh, as eventually COOs or member of members of operational departments. Um, but at the end of the day, much more than their prior experience, you know, what we're looking for is is profile, is that hunger, is that, you know, that that capacity to lead. Um, that is something that is very clear. Uh, uh, that you can see in searchers when when they have or do not have that drive, um, which is what many times more than the company they're actually acquiring is what we believe will define if they're successful or not in their endeavor. Interesting. Um, so obviously, passion has to be a part of that as well. Uh, how much is that kind of uh, that that experience? combined with the passion to kind of drive um, change in an industry or solve a problem that needs to be solved, uh, taken into consideration as well. How important is that? I'd say it's 100% important. Curiously, I, I actually went to Babson College undergraduate where uh, they can, they're very known for their entrepreneurship program. Um, and after four years, I learned that you can train entrepreneurship but you have to be born with it. So, you know, the passion and the will to to, to change things and to really disrupt, uh, uh, once again, is sometimes more important than the, the company. This is much more uh, a people business rather than a deal business. Obviously, uh, 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 maintaining the, the, the main parameters that we're looking for in terms of, you know, financials and potential returns when we're analyzing uh, investment deals. Love it. Uh, really um, inspiring stuff. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people that are listening to this, uh, that have gone through, you know, schooling, education, working um, really hard for companies and getting that, um, that the lack of opportunity or the lack of reward for the work that they put in and knowing that they could have made a big change if given the, uh, the bandwidth uh, to do so. Um, are going to be listening to this and thinking, wow, you know, what an opportunity um, that could potentially uh, behold them for themselves. That's, that's really exciting. Um, all right. So we've gone into a, a little bit about, you know, who sets these up. 
But talk to me a little bit about the structure of a search fund. Um, you know, what is it? Is it, a, is it a fund? Is it a partnership? Yeah, so a, a search fund generally has two phases. Uh, the initial phase, which is called the search phase, is where the searcher, which is the term that, you know, we, we call these individuals or, or, or duos that are looking to raise the fund, um, they go around to their potential investors, you know, with their with their proposals saying, listen, um, we're trying to search for a company in this country or in this region of a specific country, um, sometimes uh, with a more industry-focused scope, uh, but generally not. Generally, they're more um, agnostic in terms of sectors. Uh, and in this process, generally, there's not there's not a specific number, but searchers are looking to raise something around $500,000, which are broken between uh, X number of units. So let's assume it's 10 units. They're looking for uh, 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 10 units of $50,000, um, which is going to be the capital that they're going to use to finance that search process, which is a process that generally takes somewhere between one to two years, um, which includes, you know, hiring a small team of one, two, maybe three interns, maybe having a small office or nowadays, you know, there's so much home office or co-working spaces that also work. Um, looking, screening the market that they're that they're targeting, um, reaching out to the potential companies, finding the companies they're actually interested in, and then conducting the the you know the financial, legal due diligence, etc., negotiating the contracts, the SPAs, and that's what we call the search phase, which is phase one. Um, generally structured through some sort of you know limited partnership uh, or an LLC. Um, nothing very complex there. Um, and then once the company is identified, the investors, they have, you know, the option to invest, but not the obligation. So say you bought one of 10 companies uh, and the searcher presents to you an opportunity uh, 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 that is $10 million, your pro rata would be $1 million, you know, 10% of that opportunity. And you have the option, but once again, not the obligation um, to invest. And then depending on the company, you can decide if you want to put up your pro rata of the deal, if you do not want to participate at all, or if you really like the opportunity, you can say, hey, I want to go to up to as, as much as this. Um, and that gives a lot of flexibility amongst the investor base to be able to adjust their check size to the, to, you know, uh, according to their appetite for specific transactions. Um, and then once the searcher is able to, you know, close this cap table and make sure that everyone is allocated what they specifically want to have you know then they eventually sometimes they won't won't get to the official target and then they're allowed to go outside of their investor base and look for other potential uh, investors to complete the check um, and then at that point the transaction is closed uh, and then the searcher basically becomes ceo full-time and starts being compensated as the ceo of the company and you know sometimes the the kind of like the search shell still exists but everything then operates through uh, a special purpose vehicle, an SPV, which is created for that specific acquisition. Really interesting. There's so many questions that are coming out of this for me now. Um, we'll try and I'll try and get them in, in order for you. Um, 
you mentioned there was a range uh, that occur, right? So, but surely you must have some sort of idea as to kind of what this budget is going to be to acquire one of these companies. Um, what is, is there a maximum um, to, the, to the amount that you're looking to, to buy? So that's, that's, I'd say there's a general guideline, which would be, you know, a, an equity raise of something between five and, and $20 million, um, uh, which would imply buying companies that have, you know, revenues of something between maybe 10 and $50 million. Um, but there are a lot of exceptions, uh, uh, you know, both in the U.S. as well as other countries in the world. Um, we've seen we've seen some exceptions to the rule, which is which is something normal. Um, but I'd say that uh, it's becoming more often, um, given some dynamics, specifically as the asset class grows, as uh, investors become more confident uh, in in flexibilizing their their approach. I think also, which is really interesting as well, with the lack of exits that we've seen, um, that there's an opportunity now to uh, to to find new ways of and more innovative ways of getting companies investors um, whole and 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 ultimately keeping these valuations going. So it seems to be an interesting way of making uh, making opportunities out of a down market potentially, right? Yeah, I think the, the the search fund is really is really focused on um, you know companies that maybe have you know a succession issue where there's a founder that you know wants to wants to retire and doesn't have the next generation or for any given reason wants to sell their business. But given the size of the business, you know, small to mid-sized companies, these are companies that they do not have, you know, obvious strategic or financial buyers. So that really opens up an opportunity for searchers. Uh, and it also brings a, a great opportunity for the sellers. I mean, I've heard sellers being yeah. so happy that they said, I never thought I would, be, I've been trying to sell my company for four or five years. And then suddenly this thing called search fund comes around and this guy is, you know, solving my problem. Um, but it also creates really interesting buying opportunities in terms of prices and multiples for the searchers, given the market dynamics. Um, and then they're looking, you know, to grow these companies to the to the next stage where, where then they really become attractive to potential strategic and financial buyers. And then you're not only, um, you know, generating returns from the from this growth that you're creating in the company, but also from a natural multiple expansion from taking the companies to the next level, both in terms of size as well as uh, uh, governance and professionalism. Great. Uh, you mentioned a couple of things there, uh, which uh, leads really nicely into the next question. Uh, what companies make the best targets? Is it industry specific? You mentioned the types of companies and where they are in their life cycle, succession plans, et cetera. But are there certain industries um, or companies that um, uh, in, in verticals that, that, that work well for these as, as acquisitions? So we tend to be extremely agnostic. Um, uh, there is, though, kind of a cake mix that we use, a, a magical formula, which is not so secret. It's not like Coca-Cola's formula. But, you know, we're looking, we're not looking to do any sort of distress or special situations deals here. So we're looking for companies in, you know, attractive uh, industries and sectors that have growth perspectives, um, that have been growing at some steady pace, that have, 
you know, a, a, a solid EBITDA margin of at least, you know, 15 percentage um, that have a good perspective in terms of recurring revenues. So so us investors have a better or at least have more more comfort when generating projections for the future for these companies. And lastly, you know, that don't have a lot of CapEx necessities. Um, so, you know, as long as you're, you you find companies that fulfill these criteria or most of these criteria, we tend to be uh, agnostic in terms of sectors. But, you know, if you look at the uh, in the near few in the short future, uh, short uh, history, sorry, um, you know, most of the companies that we've been seeing is an increasing trend in, in software companies. You know, the SaaS model is something that really fits well into the search fund. Uh, 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 what we're looking for in the search fund world uh, and also services in general, um, you know, where you have this CapEx light business model with high recurring revenues. So those tend to be, um, uh, you know, the main spotlights in terms of industries. But there's always pleasant surprises and there's always things that jump outside the box. And it's one of the things that most fascinates me about about the search for search fund ecosystem. We're going to have to definitely talk about how we can improve banking together after this. Uh, there's a lot to be done out of that, I'm sure. Uh, no, really interesting. What makes a bad target? We talked about the good ones. Uh, what makes a bad target? So I'd say that one, one, a, a bad target, one of the main things that define a bad target, we call it rocket science, but it's when you're buying a company that is really hard to operate or has some sort of really specific technology that has to be uh, updated ever so recently um, or, or has some sort of key person inside the company that is leaving. So, you know, the searcher is coming in without having that much experiences and and the person that made the company get to where it is today is leaving. Um, companies that ha- that are operating in sectors with very low barriers to entry and kind of big competitors um, that don't have a lot of differential differentials, those are also uh, uh, not in our, you know, not in our top top of mind targets, uh, uh, and yeah, and generally companies once again with with high capex and a lot of churn in terms of of customers. Those are some of the things that we run away. We're looking for good, sound businesses in interesting sectors that you know are, are maybe slagging in growth because. Um, you know, the founder, the the current uh, uh, leadership doesn't want to take it to the next level. And we're boosting it with energy from, uh, uh, you know, recently graduated MBAs, um, which really want to take it to the next level. And that's where we that's where we generate value. Got it. Love that. Um, so you've acquired the company. Um do you add expertise there? Um, are you able to help them go through the MA process? Uh, you know, do you do you find the lawyers for them or do you work with the same people over and over again? What's that process like? Yeah, so so part of the part of the magic of the search fund model is having a group of investors that you know are experienced. Uh, with investing in search funds and uh, and are f- really familiar with the model and know how the process works um, because the searchers really rely on their investors to help guide them through the process from day zero to the last day where the company is sold. 
Um, and what we always look for uh, when we're investing in search funds is a, a diversified investor base because we, we've labeled different types of investors that have different types of expertises. And we always want to make sure that searchers have, you know, they have kind of like the search fund guru, then they have the local guru, which really understands the region in which they're operating. Then they have the sector guru, which is someone that has deep knowledge of that specific sector where uh, of the company that they're acquiring. So, you know, that's that backup of the investors, which generally um, end up forming the, the board of observers. So you generally have maybe 10 to 15 investors, and then three or four of those are going to become board members of the of the company uh, and those will be even more hands-on but the idea is uh you know to have a really constructive base of everyone uh, rowing towards the same direction and pushing the searcher to get to the ultimate goal really interesting um i love that approach uh one of the things that i've been talking about with my friends in in the industry especially around vc is this move from VC to VE, which is venture equity, which is far more founder-led. And you see some obviously very successful founder-led VC firms. It sounds like that's more of the approach that you're taking with this, where you're going to be getting in almost actively investing into these uh, these startups. And I love that. And obviously backing that kind of uh, linchpin isn't too dissimilar to that private equity model where they bring in an expert to run the company or to organize the company, right? But we haven't seen it in these smaller companies before. And these smaller companies, just because they're not, you know, generating hundreds of millions of dollars doesn't mean that they're not great companies, as you said earlier. They just need to have that kind of infliction, maybe modernization, maybe that inflection of um, of energy to get them to that next level. Creativity, right? Take the blinkers off for a bit. I, I love that. Um, but obviously do it in an organized way as well. I mean, obviously that's important. Uh, so we've talked about the, the entrance. Um, there's two ways we could take this. We could talk about a success story uh, and then that gives you kind of the chance to go through the the exit. Or do you want to go right, what a traditional exit looks like for these guys first? You tell me. Yeah. So, so you know, us at Spectra, we, we are very LATAM focused. Where we've been investing for seven years in search funds in LATAM, um, where there aren't a lot of exits uh, uh, regionally. Most of the exits are uh, in the U.S. or in Europe. Uh, you know, the trend is generally, you know, you buy the company, you operate it for maybe four, five, six years, and then you look for this sale, uh, full full sale. Obviously, there's some, there's some exceptions. Sometimes there's a sale from the original investors, but the CEO, the, the searcher wants to remain as a CEO. There's, there's, a, there's a lot of flexibility um, uh, regarding the exit. But, you know, despite not having a lot of exits down here, we have... A couple of very interesting cases and, you know, maybe mentioning uh, Agazus, which was our star, our, our, our first investment. So we say we're a little bit spoiled. Um, you know, nowadays it's called Vogue, um, but it's a company that we invested in 2018. Uh, at the time, uh, it generated something around $1.5 million in EBITDA. Um, and... You know, it was a very interesting thesis. The company is a hardware as a service company, which basically leases computers and iPads and, and cell phones to, to, to clients, to large B2B clients um, with a huge layer of services on top of that. Um, and we went from $1.5 million in EBITDA to something like 
probably $50 million that we should deliver this year. So, uh, wow. uh, you know, making very relevant acquisitions. We bought the largest player in the market in the middle of the way um, with two phenomenal searchers, Joao and Rene, which are, you know, outstanding, outstanding cases. Um, and we're very happy with our case there. So, you know, despite not having the sale, we're, we're eventually starting to think about exit channels and the, the horizon seems very, very attractive. We have other companies, you know, where we're more uh, dividend distribution focused. So companies where we've already received our capital back um, from dividends and are also looking for a sale, um, maybe not in the same magnitude, but also with very attractive returns. Um, so, so in general, we're very satisfied with what we've seen, what we're, what we're seeing in the region. And as I speak to my peers, to other global investors from the U.S. and elsewhere, you know, it's become very clear that um, LATAM and emerging markets is a very interesting space for search funds to act. Uh, uh, and I, you know, I, I've been seeing more and more international investors and the likes of the, the the largest and most renowned names in the search fund worlds more and more present down here and in other regions of the world, um, given that they're seeing the same opportunity as we are seeing. Excellent. A uh, couple of things to unpack there. Uh, you mentioned earlier that you um, are bringing. Uh, really quality investors in obviously you have experience as well within spectra of doing a lot of the um uh, the deals that you've been talking about uh how do you find external investors and what do you get from them from a commitment and it might not just be um you know expertise but like from actually from capital how much how do you you manage those conversations and what happens if they need if you need more outside of the the initial investment so, so what happens there is generally for the search phase, there's a niched group of investors, which are the search fund, you know, call it uh, uh, the serial investors, um, which these are us and, and some other local and international groups. We're the ones funding the search phase. But when it comes to the actual company, um, you know, we at Spectra Search Funds is a portion of, of what we do. Um, we have more than 600 underlying portfolio companies and, and a vast network here. So what we do is we say, OK, this is the company we're looking at. Let's reach out to, to our network and try to find people that really are industry experts. And we show them the opportunities and we're looking to bring these people aboard um, not only with their capital, but with their knowledge. So there's always, I always mention to our searchers that one of the board seats always has to be of some sort of like industry expert, someone that has done something very similar to what that company does before, because it may be relatively easy to understand what the company does, but there's so many lessons learned that there's so much value that these external industry experts bring to the table um, that when you're able to bring their knowledge along with their capital, which, you know, translates to alignment, um, for us, it's a home run. Excellent. Uh, the other part that you mentioned there is obviously the success stories and actually generating dividends uh, along the way and getting your money back over the time. That seems to be a perfect situation. Uh what other ways have you been able to monetize these companies, um, you know, building ecosystems, et cetera? And obviously, you've got 600 portfolio companies there. Have you found that there's an opportunity to bring these companies in and to bleed them in across all of your portfolio or some of your portfolio companies? 
We're working on that. And I think it's a work in progress. We've seen some some very interesting examples. So I think with Agasuz or, or now Vogue, um, it, it was very clear the synergies of how we were able to help um, them and some of our other companies. So it was completely symbiotic, um, uh, spreading them and helping them uh, to reach our, our network of invested companies. Uh, and that's one of our main in, uh, incentives and actually objectives here in Spectra is developing this, this ecosystem between our companies and involving uh, and plugging our search deals within the whole ecosystem. Um, and I think that can be a very interesting opportunity for, call it the next cycle of, you know, development of the asset class in the region and for Spectra as a firm. Excellent, excellent. Uh, you mentioned um, earlier that uh, this this is applicable, obviously, across um, the US and Europe. It's been done there. LATAM has it's still new in LATAM, and you're one of the first people to do this. You've seen success, but you haven't had those exits yet. Where else do you think this model works? Maybe it's across LATAM. Um, can you maybe go over a little bit more detail as to where you're looking within LATAM, which regions you're specifically looking at, and maybe outside of LATAM as well? Yeah, so you know, we've in, in Latam we're we're we've we've done Brazil, we've done Mexico, we've done Colombia. We actually recently closed our first deal in Paraguay, which is a is a funny story. You know, uh, we've been trying to find something to do in Paraguay for years, and curiously, what gave us the the first investment opportunity that really made sense for us was a search fund uh, uh, based in Paraguay that recently acquired a. a, a a chemical distributor for the agribusiness. So very happy there. Very cool story. You know, we looked into Peru. We looked into Chile. Uh, we even looked into Argentina, but things, unfortunately, on the macro side went a little bit sour there. So I think that the region has been growing as a whole, despite Brazil and Mexico being the clear leaders. Um, but as we look towards the rest of the world, you know, we see some some interesting trends of the first search fund in Vietnam, which just knocked on our door, uh, mainly because one of the searchers, uh, curiously, is Brazilian. So um, the first search fund in Vietnam, the first search fund in South Korea, the first search fund in Tunisia, the first search fund in Egypt. So we start seeing it really blossom uh, in some um, you know, less developed economies, not that South Korea is not that developed, but um, on countries that, you know, weren't in the map. And we think that this is just the beginning. Uh, you know, I, I went to the search fund conference uh, some years ago and you you saw that it was uh, more, uh, more, it was earlier uh, and a more incipient asset class. You know, uh, last year in the last conference, it was amazing just the amount of people that were in Barcelona and the whole noise around it. And you, you see it in the news, you see with people calling. Uh, I think it's it's just the beginning uh, of, a, of a very interesting uh, dynamic that we think is going to happen globally. And and that's what we're looking to, you know, position ourselves into. We've we've done Latin America up to now. Uh, and the plan is eventually we're, we're obviously preparing ourselves, structuring it, but thinking about you know, maybe maybe this is something that we can act globally and help potential entrepreneurs on a global scale, um, given that, you know, there there is kind of a, a recurrent formula and a recurrent model and some very systematic uh, strategies and, and, and policies that you can put in place 
um, you know, that have delivered very attractive returns historically throughout the world. And we believe that they will continue to do so in the future. I love it. And you're at the end of the day, you're running your own global expansion project, right? I mean, at the end, there's no difference between really running a business, you know, expanding and landing into new offices, new opportunities, and which is what you're asking probably a lot of your uh, uh, searchers to do, right? You know, land and expand, create a business. And now you have to... Uh, do the same thing. Maybe you'll have to get. I wouldn't, to I wouldn't go. I wouldn't go as far as saying there's no no difference. I'd say there's there's le- less difference on the business side, and that's why we're always, as I mentioned, the blend between the the investor base. So always have local partners, and when we know we have the local partners that understand the geography, that understand how it is to do business in that specific region or country, then we can bring in the expertise of you know uh, analyzing businesses understanding financials understanding all the all the different metrics and and comparing it to what we've done up to now which which we think brings a lot of value to the table all right final question where can people find out more about you about search funds and ultimately apply uh, for this so I'd say that there's not like a, 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 a website where there's a formula where you you apply directly to learn more about spectra, um, and, and what we do, you can access our website, spectrainvest.com, or even send me an email directly at as at spectra.com. Um, for those interested on the, on the search fund model, there's a, a primer, uh, which is published by Stanford in their website. It's a free download. It's kind of like the holy grail for search funds. It's probably the first document that anyone interested in search funds reads um, before they reach out. Um, and essentially, it's you have to start looking for people um, that have done uh, 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 or that have created search funds before. This is one of the coolest things of the environment. Um, you know, it's a it, it's a very collaborative environment. Searchers are always willing to speak to people that are interested in opening their search funds. Investors are always having their doors open to listen to potential pitches. Um, you know, and and look around, and you'll see that the receptiveness from from the ecosystem and from everyone involved is something that I had never witnessed before in in my prior career in private equity, and it's one of the things that makes me most passionate about um, search funds. Excellent. Alex, this was an absolute pleasure. Thank you for taking me through this. I'm a novice. I'm, I'm very ignorant when it comes to this, but I'm absolutely fascinated by the uh, the vehicle and, and the model. Uh, I can see why you've been so successful and I'm sure you will be for years to come. Uh, thanks again. Are, for you, are, you think, are you thinking about starting a search fund, Ashley? <laughs> maybe, maybe. <laughs> we'll have to talk about that another time. But yeah, absolutely uh, fascinating. Uh, thanks very much for your time. Awesome. The pleasure was mine. Have a good one, Ashley. Cheers. There you have it. In this episode, I got to learn more about how search funds operate and what investors consider when deploying capital into them. I felt Alex did a wonderful job of explaining the nuances of the strategy and the benefits to both the searcher and the funds that are deploying the capital. I'm personally fascinated by this type of vehicle and can see why people are gravitating towards them. I'm sure there are a number of investors out there that will be investing in these types of funds for years to come, as well as a number of experienced individuals that are looking to acquire and grow companies to effectively utilize their untapped knowledge. If you'd like to learn more, feel free to check out our blog based on the episode titled, The Six Things You Need to Know About Search Funds. The links for this article are in the comments below. We'll see you next week.